I joke that if she wasn't an anteater, she'd be a pig. Hello, I'm John Rossi. I'm a touring drummer with a passion for animal conservation. When I'm on the road, I spend as much time as possible visiting zoos, aquariums, and conservation organizations. Now, I want to share those places with you. I'll be talking to keepers, vets, conservationists, anyone who can help me in my mission of connecting my people to animals through their people. Join me on my raw safari. Hi, hello, how are you? Welcome back to the podcast that brings you all of the cute animals with none of the gross smells, the Rasafari Podcast. And y'all, I have officially returned home from tour. That's right. This is the first episode in a couple of weeks that is not being recorded, kind of sneakily in a dressing room or hiding in the back lounge of a tour bus or other crazy stuff like that. I am back home. I am on my very fancy Shure SM7B microphone, and uh, we are back to sitting on a couch and making a podcast. You know, speaking of my SM7B, I know I told y'all when I got it, I was very excited. Um, This is actually the same model of microphone that uh, Quincy Jones used to record Michael Jackson in the studio uh, on Thriller and, and many other you know, of his most famous hits. So I tell you that because the next time that you are listening to this podcast and you think, holy crap, John sounds exactly like MJ right now. Well, now you know why. Mama say, mama sa, mama kosa, mama say, ma, no, no. Okay. Okay. But I will say that uh, if you want to be starting something new as you get into the holiday season, uh, you could go and sign up to support the podcast by going to patreon.com slash There you can find multiple tiers of support, including ones as little as $3 a month and ones as high as $20 a month, which are my Red Panda patrons like Laura Shank and PJ Bevan. Thank you both. I love you. Supporting the pod financially really, really helps me keep it going and lets me go do these cool trips that I do. And uh, you get some cool stuff in return. And uh, I promise you, being a patron is a real thriller. And hey, I know I mentioned the Patreon in every episode, but I've been told that when it comes to Patreon, you just don't stop till you get enough. After all, trying to get some financial support right now is just, uh, you know, human nature. All right. All right. I'm going to stop before you all tell me to beat it. <laughs> you know, when I started this episode, I did not think I would go down a weird Michael Jackson joke road, but uh, here we are and uh, I'm here for it. Hopefully it made you laugh like a uh, pretty young thing. <laughs> no, no, no. All right. Something, something Billy Jean. Anyway, moving on. So today we are continuing our trek through uh, some of the facilities in New England that I got to visit while I was doing MDQ up at Northern Stage in Vermont. And we are going to Beardsley Zoo in Connecticut. Now, you have heard from Beardsley on this podcast before, and as a matter of fact, you have heard from today's guest way back in episode 10 when I first introduced you to J.T. Warner. At the time, we talked about maned wolves, and now we are back to talk about another stinky animal, giant anteaters. And y'all, there's a baby. This is a really fun and informative episode, um, and I'm really excited to share it with y'all. I do have to tell you 
JT is a very busy individual, and so the interview itself runs about 24 minutes, shorter than our usual, but it is packed full of silliness and good information and adorable animalness. And um, because it's going to be a little shorter than usual, and because I have recently learned that a lot of people who get into the podcast don't necessarily go back and listen to all of the episodes, after the main interview here, I'm going to go ahead and throw in the... um, the main wolf interview again, in case you haven't heard it or in case it's been a long time since you have heard it, because that was the 10th episode of my podcast. And that is a long time ago, y'all. Um, and also, just so you know, uh, this one was recorded at the Anteater exhibit. There were anteaters being adorable. And um, I have some really cool pictures to share with you and, and did get to meet these goobers. And it was amazing. But as often happens, I was using my handheld recorder at the exhibit. So, you know, the audio quality is a little less than when I get to do a pretty indoor microphone setup. But it is more than made up for by the awesomeness of JT and more importantly, the Anteaters. So do me a favor and uh, make sure you hit subscribe. Make sure you're following along on Instagram and Facebook at Raw Safari. You'll get to see some really cute baby anteater pics and maybe even some videos of them snacking on a favorite food, which is shockingly not ants. You'll find out more about that in the interview. And now I'm going to throw it to an ad, and then we'll get to the interview. Today's episode is brought to you by Daydreamers Studios. Do you have stories and expertise to share with the world? Have you ever thought about starting your own podcasts? There's no better time to start than now with the help of a trusted production partner. Daydreamer Studios is a full-service production company that takes all the stress off your plate. You can focus on creating engaging content while they focus on recording, editing, audio engineering, hosting, and publishing on 22 platforms. Log into the advanced remote system with one click and the Daydreamer team will be on the other end ready for you to record everything you have to say. Owned and operated by Daydreamer Network, Daydreamer Studios continues on the company's mission to empower storytellers of all kinds by making podcasting accessible to all. For more information and current promotions, visit daydreamernetwork.com studios. All right, so without further ado, here is my interview with J.T. Warner of Beardsley Zoo. All right, so uh, tell me who you are and what you do here. I'm uh, J.T. Warner. I'm the Senior Animal Care Specialist here at uh, Connecticut's Beardsley Zoo. All righty, and uh, who are we here to talk about today? Uh, we're here to talk about the uh, giant anteaters, uh, mostly, uh, in, mostly specifically about uh, Panna and her as-of-yet-unnamed uh, offspring. All right, so let's, uh, let's get into it. Why don't you give um, my listeners just kind of an overview of the species? Uh, it's a really odd species. When you look at them, you can't even like, really begin to think that they're real. Uh, if you've never seen a giant anteater, they are uh, about six to seven feet long, depending on the uh, depending on you know the specific size of them. Uh, very long nose, very long bushy tail. Uh, that kind of helps. It kind of gives them like a weird uh, outline, but it makes it uh, harder for a predator to tell which end is uh, front. Uh, makes it harder to sneak up on them. Uh, they walk on their knuckles. They got these big meat hooks. They almost look like they have, uh, hooves when you first see them. And that's because they're walking on their knuckles, uh, because their, uh, claws 
are so long on the forelimbs that uh, they curl up under uh, and to protect those because they use those for eating uh, also for defense they curl up underneath uh, they actually have a little pocket in their uh, front paw that the claw kind of slides into so they don't stab themselves as they walk and then they have these little tiny ridiculous looking back legs um, <laughs> you're not wrong yeah they have like it's they're just a very odd it looks like something that Jim Henson if uh, you remember know who he was like the Jim Henson creature shop like the movie Labyrinth or uh, Dark Crystal they're just a very odd looking creature and also a 18 inch to two foot long tongue that just falls right out of their head. Absolutely. Now you said they use their claws for eating, but anteaters use their sticky tongues to catch bugs. So how do the claws work with that? Oh, the claws work with, well, uh, you got to figure termite. They actually eat more termites than they do ants and termite colonies down in South America, especially are gigantic uh, mud uh, constructs that are uh, built over the course of many, many years that are also about the density of concrete. Uh, so they use those to rip the hole in them. They just got to rip a hole big enough that their tongue can get in. They also use them with rotten logs. Uh, I've personally seen one bear hug a rotten log and rip it open like a phone book. <laughs> um, and then we just watched uh, the female. Uh, we got her to come out to say hello. I gave her a, a whole intact coconut. And they get a hold of it with one paw and just kind of pop a hole in it with uh, the other claw. So those claws are really strong, and that's their main way of being able to get in to get at the termites and ant colonies and whatnot. Makes sense. And I was surprised that a coconut was used for enrichment because it's not an insect. So they they like coconuts, huh? Uh, they like, uh, we've been finding that uh, they like a lot of uh, sweet uh, fruits that are easy to eat, like uh, overly ripened banana. They love ripe avocado, which is not really sweet, but kind of fatty. Uh, oranges, um, any type of yogurt. Um, my only thing with that, I don't know if this is a for certain thing, you got to figure ants and termites lack uh, sugar and fat. So um, avocados are a decent source of uh, you know uh, oily fat, and uh, everything else has sugar in it. So they kind of have a sweet tooth and a uh, little bit of a hunger for avocado they they love avocado there's no other way to describe it they absolutely go crazy for avocado that's awesome i am a big fan of avocado toast so i uh, i can respect this also yeah. guac you know uh, this makes sense to me cool um so tell me about the individuals here yeah we have um we have the two adults we have uh eo who is the male he's named after eo wilson uh the naturalist who uh liked ants and then we have uh panna the female p-a-n-a and right now we currently have a uh, Panna and Eo uh, did successfully uh, mate, and uh, Panna on June 15th had a uh, baby. Uh, we have not yet named or determined the sex of the baby yet, uh, but doing very well. Just turned three months old uh, last week. Yeah, we could go today. Nice. Uh, turned three months old, uh, doing very well. Uh, this one is much uh, more outgoing than the other two babies that we've had. He's been getting off of the mom at a much earlier date, uh, much earlier time, getting out and exploring a lot more. The other ones were kind of like, uh, what's the term, like tied to her apron strings. But uh, he, this one seems to be a little bit more independent uh, to the point that we'll see mom is sleeping and he'll be in another room oh, wow. running around and playing. So That's really cool. But then the second he sees us, he goes, runs, and hides <laughs> under her tail. <laughs> Makes sense. Makes sense. And um, for those that don't know, when you say riding on mom, you mean that? Quite oh, literally. literally. Yeah. Um, giant anteaters have a really cool stripe that kind of goes over their front shoulder halfway up the back. And uh, the baby will get on mom's back and line his stripe, his or her stripe up with the mom's stripe. 
and it kind of create it like makes them kind of disappear. So to a predator, it kind of looks like one large an animal rather than a small one riding a big one. But honestly, a predator would have to be uh, insane to try to get between a mother anteater and uh, her baby. The anteaters can be quite, they look kind of dopey and they move around kind of slow and they're kind of cute looking, but they are uh, surprisingly, uh, I wouldn't say aggressive, but defensive when um, when they feel threatened. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah. Makes sense. Are, are they uh, free or protected contact? Uh, we could go in with them. Um, we would bring a tool, but we try to do mostly protected contact. Um, they can they can get grouchy pretty quick, so it's just <laughs> easier. And we have a good setup here for being able to shift them from room to room, and they shift very easily. So um, unless we have to go in with them, uh, we don't. But even when we go in, it would be very protected. Like we would have like a big um, the big grain shovels, you know, something to use as a little shield or whatnot. But they're they're really good. Like mom, we weigh the baby once a week. And uh, we just give the mom some food, Panda some food, and we can just pick the baby up and put him on his uh, um, stuffed animal that he grips onto, and then put him on the scale, and then put him right back. And she's cool with that. Oh, that's such an amazing image. I yeah. love that. What kind of stuffed animal is it? It's a sloth. Uh, it's a sloth, yeah. Okay. okay. That just seemed like a really important question. Yeah. Well, yeah. someone will yeah. We tried it once with a cat and it didn't work. So the sloth, obviously. The sloth stuffed animals are great. I love yes. it. That's very cool. So um, what are, other than the fact that they can get grumpy, mm -hmm. what are the individual personalities like of these three? Or uh, at least the two that you know well. Uh, you know. Eo, um, the boy, he loves being sprayed with a hose. Uh, that's Panda does not like that. Do okay. not do that to Panda. She does not like that. Eo likes being doused with a hose and will... Um, I don't know if he did this in his other facility, but here... If you're trying to hose anything, he will try to drink out of the hose, which is just really annoying after, uh, it's cute, but you keep on trying to clean, but you keep shoving his face in it. Um, he's pretty lazy in the morning. He can be kind of hard to get up. Um, Panna is a chow hound. I, I joke that if she wasn't an anteater, she'd be a pig. Um, <laughs> she loves food. She loves to eat. She's actually larger than the male. She outweighs him by, um... Everywhere from 20 to almost 30 pounds sometimes. Their weight fluctuates a little bit. So when she's pregnant, she usually weighs about 115 pounds. And he usually weighs between 85 and 90. So she's uh, a lot larger than he is. Uh, but she loves her food. Um, you have to be very careful when you feed them in the back that his food is away from the walls. Because if he pushes it too close to a, a common wall, she'll just get her tongue in there and eat the entire thing. <laughs> awesome. And then you yep. said... Um, that the the baby is is pretty exploring or explore yeah pretty good at exploring yeah and pretty independent um but you've had other babies here right yeah this he's our third one okay. we had uh, mochila which is uh, Spanish for backpack uh, was our first one <laughs> and then um, I just I just thought that was funny for anyone who was uh, uh, spoke Spanish that at the end of the day if we're out in front of the yard screaming backpack backpack <laughs> um, trying to get him to come in. Uh, and then Tupi was our second one. They were both males. Uh, Mochila is in um, Louisiana right now. He's at the Alexandria Zoo. And Tupi got sent down to Nashville where he was paired up with three females. So Tupi's, Tupi's having a good time down there. Um, this <laughs> guy awesome. is Yeah, this guy is just like usually they've been very uh, – the other two we have, like I said, they would stay very close to mom. He's very much uh, getting up and exploring uh, when he came in. We put uh, them out in the yard. We switch. You can't have the, the male, the adult males with the babies – 
uh, too much of a chance of them injuring the baby. So uh, mom and baby get the yard in the morning, and then um, right around 12, 12.30, I switch them. And when he first came in today, he was covered with dirt. He had, And I went out there and saw he had been digging little ruts here and there, trying to see what's under the ground. So he's doing a good job getting in touch with his anteater instincts. <laughs> nice. That's awesome. So tell me about what you feed them. I assume that you don't keep, you know, 10,000 termites a day or whatever. Yeah, that's uh, people always ask that, like, uh, what do you, what do you, you know, do you give them ants? And like, well, that would be, they eat between 35,000 and 40,000 ants or termites a day. And the other thing is like, these South American ants and termites, which are like, can be considerably larger than ones here and also live in considerably larger uh, groups. You know, up here an ant colony might number in the tens of thousands. We're down there. It's in the, you know, hundreds of thousands to millions. Um, so uh, up here we give them, there's this, uh, People who are familiar with zoos, there's a company called Mazuri, M-A-Z-U-R-I. Uh, it's a division of uh, Purina, I believe. And they literally make everything. Uh, they make, like, specialized elephant moose di- uh, elephant and moose diets and stuff like that. And they do a pellet called insectivore pellet, which is a little tiny pellet. They look almost like grape nuts. And uh, it's a complete diet. And you soak it in water. And then after about half an hour, we blend it into basically like a pancake batter type deal. And we give him that. Eo is a finicky eater and has trouble putting on weight sometimes. So he also has uh, some exotic feline uh, pellets, uh, like kibble and some leaf eater biscuits uh, mixed in with his. He also gets an avocado mixed in uh, with his diet to help encourage him to eat it. But uh, Panda just gets the straight Missouri. Uh, they also get an orange each a day um, that they just poke a hole in and use a tongue and pulp it up because the vitamin C is really good for them. Ah, that's awesome. Very cool. Very yeah. cool. Yeah. Um, so how long have you been working with the anteaters here? I've been working since they first came here. They've been here for about six years, I believe. Uh, I've, I've been here for a long time, so all the years kind of blend into one another. But I think sure. it's about six years. Uh, I went with our um, other um, senior animal care associate curator, Rob, to go pick him up from uh, Kennedy Airport. And I remember I was kind of shocked that after we brought them in, like we were using... Um, their diet to coax them out of the transfer crates. And usually after an animal's been in transit, like they don't want to eat. They just, they're kind of stressed out by everything. And Panna walked out and immediately began eating. And we put her uh, food too close to the transfer crate so she wouldn't move any further out because the food was right there. So we had to reach in with a broom and kind of push the food farther away so she would leave the transfer crate so we could uh, get that out. And then EO pretty much did the same. So I was actually kind of shocked by how calm they were immediately upon coming out so yeah but they've been here uh yeah i've been working with uh, them since uh, the minute they got at the zoo oh it's really cool so awesome yeah. yeah it's uh and all three babies uh been here for all three babies oh i wasn't the this was the last one i had called out sick and was born that day and i was like oh that figures <laughs> so what uh what what's the habitat like for these guys for for people that aren't here to see it uh it's a fairly large habitat for anteaters um if you, most people have seen them in zoos, it's a smaller uh, area. It's a uh, decent-sized yard. Um, it's on a hill, so it's kind of got three areas. There's a lower area, uh, a mid-hill, and then a top terrace. So it's not, like a, it's not like properly terraced, but the way that it's laid out is like that. There's a nice big pool. The whole exhibit over here, including that we have Rhea next to them and Peccary, this all used to be an old llama yard, so it's a fairly deep pool because we used to have llamas in it. But uh, they do enjoy the pool. Uh, they don't really swim, but they like to bathe. And watching an anteater bathe is really hysterical because they kind of sit on their butt and scratch their belly um, 
and they just kind of use the claw and rake it over them. And uh, I, I always appreciate when they do that outside because when they do it inside in their tubs, it leaves them fairly gross. Yeah, yeah that sounds right. That but sounds it's right. Uh, yeah, it's a fairly uh, decent sized habitat. Uh, we for Panna. Um, I tend to, when I let her out in the morning, I tend to put her food in like little bits all over the yard just to, if you put it all in one spot, she'll just eat it all and then go lay down in the back. At least if you put it all around, it keeps her moving around a lot. Um, and then EO, usually I hide like some little treats here and there for him just to make sure he uses the yard. But, uh, they do spend a lot of time. They have like a, a little track that they like walking up in the back. Anteaters don't like, it's not so much pacing, it's more of a patrolling they would spend a lot of time just kind of walking around their area, you know, their territory, just, you know, checking things out. So, Right. No, that makes sense. That's yep. really cool. Um, do you do any specific enrichment with them other than uh, food-based? Um, they tend to. I've noticed that unless there's some sort of food involved with it, they couldn't care less about it. Um, EO, he likes being sprayed with the hose, so sometimes I'll go down there, you know, spray him down. He'll take, like, a little shower in front of people. He likes that. Um since I really haven't found anything that they really like that they'll dig through with that. Um, rotten logs they like. If we can get like a good rotten log to the point that it's pulpy, like you can push your fingers mm -hmm. into it. They love just ripping that to bits and trying to see if there's anything edible inside of it. Um, but the majority of stuff is like uh, is food based. Uh, so we'll uh, there are logs out in there in the yard that drilled holes in and like go around pour food down that. Uh, pour some mealworms in it. They do like mealworms. Uh, we have different crafts and things that will uh, stick their food in, so they have to actually utilize their tongue um, to get it out. Um, some different puzzle feeders, which are like in weird shapes, you know, that they have to use their tongue in order to get the food out. So right. stuff like that to keep them mentally stimulated. But uh, I haven't found anything that they like to play with other than trying to get food out of it so gotcha huh, makes sense that's yeah. cool very very cool. yeah some animals like wolves you can put out like you know stinky substances and they roll around right, right. these guys don't just don't seem to care about that i have a hard time picturing an anteater just rolling around on the ground yeah so. i mean uh, it's funny when you see them play like uh when you see the baby play with mom and stuff they'll do that they'll kind of roll around <laughs> they almost look like they're fighting but um anteaters let you know when they're mad pretty easily they have a pretty loud bellow that they do when they're upset so unless um i remember the last time i had interns back there um two years ago um they one called me in a panic one day that they were killed that you know they were fighting i come in and they were playing i let her know unless you hear that bellowing noise it's just playing you know right yeah yeah, that's how I, I, it's dumb, but that's how I was with dogs at first. I thought they'd be fighting, and then people were like, no, they're, they're playing. They're having yeah. fun. I was like, okay, you just yeah. have to learn the behaviors. You yep, know? exactly. Um, even when we had the uh, tigers, on a different story with it, when we had uh, the two sister tigers, they would be on their back legs hitting each other and you know, wrestling, and people would say they're fighting. Like, no, trust me, if they were fighting, you would be running away. Um, <laughs> the noises the tigers make when they're upset, once again, is terrifying, and the human brain usually just runs upon hearing that so yeah no makes sense yep. so um what what other animals did you mention are right down in this area too? Uh, we have next to this this is kind of our south american um area over here so when you first walk up to it um you'll see our main wolves we have a pair of main wolves it's uh brother and sister uh they're there and then the next yard over is chicoan peccaries and then the yard behind that is kind of a weird terrorist exhibit, but um, the yard behind that is we have Greater Rhea walking around, and then the um, 
anteaters over here. And then uh, next to them, uh, hopefully completed uh, and opened by spring of next year, we're going to have a nice, huge Indian bear exhibit. I am so excited about the I'm Andean excited bear exhibit. About I'm excited about that too. It's been a while since we have Andean bears here at the zoo, so uh, it'll be want to come back, back and do an interview with people about that yeah. once it's open. And I can't wait. I'm so excited. I'm so excited. Yeah, that. that's going to be amazing. It's, and like it, it's hard to describe to the viewers, but it is a massive exhibit. It kind of is stretching from the edge of the uh, anteater habitat all the way over towards the bison habitat. So it's a it's a fairly expansive uh, yard. Yeah, it looks amazing from what I can see so far. Yep. I really can't wait. I'm st- just, just so excited. Oh, we're just stoked, so excited, yeah. I bet, yeah. Um, and we've done the main wolves. We, we talked about them in, in your first episode. But um, I have the feeling that a lot of people, even zoo fans that are listening right now, have no idea what a peccary is. So uh, want, want to give them a little overview? Uh, Tell me peccary, uh, they're also, they live in the, there are species of them that live in the southwest. They're called javelinas, uh, javelins named after, I'm um, guessing probably the teeth, because their teeth, their canine teeth are massive. Um, they are... The easiest way to describe it is they're incredibly pig-like, but they're not truly a pig. They have different dentition. The way that their hooves are put together is slightly different, and their digestive system is different than that of a pig. It's a little bit closer to a ruminant. So they're very pig-looking, but they're not truly a pig. Um, easiest way to describe is the body looks like uh, covered in porcupine quills, a massive head, and tiny little legs that don't look like it should be able to support any of them. Um, they're just very, if you get a chance to look them up, they, uh, we have Chacoan peccaries, which are one of the largest of the subspecies of the species, not subspecies. Um, and they're, they have, uh, they're covered in very long bristles. Um, like I said, it looks like an, uh, porcupine almost, yeah. but they're not sharp like a porcupine. They're just, you know, stiff bristles, kind of like a paintbrush. Um, and you know, the same pig shaped head, but like the body is disproportionately small, it seems. And the legs are tiny. Yeah, legs tiny, are real tiny. Tiny little hooves. Like when you look at them, it does not look like their legs should be able to support them at all and that they're entirely head. Um, but then <laughs> it's funny because like you'll see them eat and like in the yard and they'll like have like they only open their mouth a little bit to eat and then they'll yawn and their mouth is huge and filled with four very large, uh, very sharp triangular shaped canine teeth. That oh, wow. Can, do some damage uh, if you were to run uh, afoul of one of them. So, so are they carnivores then? Or? No, they're uh, omnivores. They're, uh, for what I understand, they are opportunistic. Car- they're omnivores. They're opportunistic carnivores. Sure. They find meat on the ground. I mean, a lot of animals. Uh, even people are shocked to find out that, like, you know, even deer will eat meat if given yeah. the opportunity. But um, did you see that video of a uh, uh, giant tortoise? Oh, just with crushing the bird, yeah, and eating the bird, yeah. That was insane. Yeah. I saw one of a giant tortoise. It would uh, walk over its food until pigeons came over, and then it would just kind of drop all of its weight down on the pigeon oh. and then back up and eat the pigeon. Um, <laughs> now they have horrified everyone, but uh, the uh, the teeth are used primarily for defense. Gotcha. Um, it's one of those like kind of like why mandrels have like uh, mandrels and gorillas have huge canine teeth. It's kind of like you know. If they're threatening something, they're going to open up their mouth and show, this is what you're going to be facing if you come any closer. Right, so. right. Makes sense. Yeah. And they, uh, when they get upset, they uh, actually will form. We only have two now, but we had four at one point. And when they get uh, upset or scared, they'll all they'll put their backs to one another, their butts to one another. So you basically have a giant ball of teeth just facing outward. So like if it was like a predator, like a mountain lion or something, trying to rush in there, it's basically going to run into a mouth no matter where it goes. So... That's awesome. Yeah. And then Rias. Are the rumors true? I have been told that Rias are the scariest 
just like temperament wise. Oh no, the ones that we have are sweethearts. Really, I mean, like, that's the, amazing. Uh, I love that. the male has hissed at me a couple times, but that's mostly like uh, the female. We had to separate them. Uh, they uh, after a while, the so we don't have the female and the male in together. But the female used to be in there, and we would lay eggs, and the males are the ones in ratites who sit on the eggs. Right, and he would get kind of snippy about if he was sitting on the egg, but usually we would just toss some food five feet from him and he would get up and walk over and forget that he had the egg. So, um, um, oh, that's fascinating. They, uh, yeah, I, uh, I've never worked with any of the other ratites. Uh, I've heard people tell me the same thing about emus and then definitely cassowaries are scary. Cause I know they've actually, people have actually been killed by cassowaries yes. and, they, and they look like dinosaurs. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, the ones that we have are, um, are fairly, Fairly easy going. Awesome. Yep. Very cool. Very cool. Um, are there any conservation organizations that you would like to give a shout out to or talk about or anything like that? Um, just if you want to look into uh, AZA, um, they have lots of different ones like the Safe, the Saving Animals from Extinction. They can like send to all different, uh, all different uh, groups that you can go to there, um, and just anything. Um, Connecticut local wildlife rehabbers because uh, we have a lot of issues. One of the best ones is Wildlife in Crisis. I believe it's in Reading. That's a great one always to donate to. Um, they will take almost anything, no questions asked, um, and care for it um, and release it if they can. If not, they'll uh, they'll house it. So organizations like that are always great too because people don't realize, you know, like there's a lot of animals that live just in our backyards and sometimes they need a help. They need a hand too. So. It's time now, don't you know? We've come to the end of the show. But there's one tale left to go. You're gonna laugh and say, oh no. It's time for the Rossifari Poop Story. Poop Story. So, a few years ago, on a uh, there's a Facebook group called Zoo Creepers. Uh, there was a poll about what is the uh, what were the worst um, feces to work around. And the top three were Maine Wolf, Rhea, and uh, Anteater. <laughs> and uh, we have them all located very close to one another. Uh, Anteater feces are, the when the baby, because uh, he's on like the, the milk diet, they're, they look like a normal, like almost like dog poo, and they're not that bad. But um, since we're substituting the diets, the, you know, they're, what comes out the other end is going to be a little bit different. So uh, we're giving them mostly a paste. And it's, uh, it, it is just, we'll just say generally unpleasant. Uh, the best thing about it is, is they, we have giant um, big like horse troughs in the back that they tend to go to the bathroom. And so it allows us just to basically pour it down the drain in the floor. Nice. Because if they were just going on the, it, it's, it's not pleasant. It's just, it's hard to describe. And then, um, the worst story with it was at the end when the building first opened, there's a drain in the center of the floor uh, and it goes to a catch basin at the end. And we didn't know how often we had to clean that catch basin. So it went like probably a good two or three months before we decided to clean it. Um, so it was in the middle of the summer and it was basically a catch basin filled with sand and fermenting anteater poo. Um, we've never let it go that long. It's now, it's now cleaned every other week. Um, <laughs> Uh, you could have stripped paint off of a footlocker with the smell that came out of that. Um, you know, and that's, that's how you learn. But, uh, yeah, because yeah, it was like, especially once you got to the bottom, all the stuff that had been oh. sitting there for the longest time. So, yeah, that is, uh, that is the anteater story, uh, with poo. It's, it's fairly, I, I often joke about, thank God they're cute because almost everything else about them is kind of gross. <laughs> uh, 
Um, they leave like this thick Elmer's glue consistency saliva on their food dishes that just will not come off sometimes. If it dries with the sand in it, you have to practically chip it off. Oh, um, they, they, their poo is nasty and they can be gassy at times. You can just walk back there and there's just an air biscuit that makes you want to cry <laughs> in the air. But, uh, but they're, they're, they're wonderful animals. They have a lot of personality. Um, uh, they make me smile every single time I see them. Like I could be in a bad mood and, you know, one of them will stick his, uh, face through the bars and start smelling me and I'll just, I can't help but laugh then, you know, <laughs> that's awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking the time. I really right. appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for listening, everybody. All right. And now here is that bonus, the replay of my first interview with JT. It is very short and, uh, has a lot of cool information about an animal that, if you haven't listened yet, you might not know a lot about, but uh, I'll give you a hint. Well, it's not much of a hint because I said the name at the beginning, but um, in case you forgot, uh, they smell like the marijuana. Enjoy. Oh, also, this uh, interview was recorded uh, back when COVID masks were first really a thing, and um, we all had huge thick ones that sounded like poop when trying to do interviews. So, uh... I did what I could. It's not bad, but that's why JT suddenly sounds like he's underwater. Yay. Tell me, who are you and uh, and where, where are we and, and what do you do and all that good stuff? Uh, my name is uh, JT Warner. I'm one of the animal care specialists here at Connecticut's Beardsley Zoo in Bridgeport, Connecticut. Um, I am in the hoofstock slash uh, Pampas Plains track of the zoo. So I help take care of everything from Andean condors to three different types of wolves uh, giant anteaters, peccary, uh, deer, uh, a couple of small birds, and the prairie dogs. That's really awesome. Um, how did you get here? What did you do as far as education? And is this your first zoo, or have you been doing this? Yeah, this is my first uh, like zoo. Um, I uh, I went to college originally. I wanted to be a marine biologist, so I wanted to like uh, research the sharks and everything. And then I found out how uh, grants work, and that. Uh, I really don't like research. <laughs> I found that out very quickly. Um, so I kind of switched my track to do, um, uh, I was kind of in the pre-med track cause I was thinking about becoming an RN or a PA and I had to do a, um, um, a service project my senior year in college down in Florida. And there was a, um, basically like a cat reserve, uh, nearby in Florida. And I'm like, well, if I have to do a hundred hours of service project, you know, I'm going to do it someplace interesting. So I did it there and I just quickly, I fell in love with it and, um, came up here. Uh, I worked for about six to eight months, um, doing grounds and maintenance here at the, uh, zoo. And, uh, one of the keepers left and I was able to move into that position. And I've been here since, uh, been full-time animal care since 2000. Wow. That's really awesome. That's uh, that's a good long time. That's a long time. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that's very cool. So one of the animals that you take care of and where we are standing right now is, uh, the main wolf. And yep. we are hanging out with, uh, with your main wolves right now, which is awesome. Um, so I feel like a lot of people don't know what Maine wolves are. Mm -hmm. So can you tell me just some basics about them? Yeah, um, they're called the Maine wolf, but they're not really... Well, it's maned like a horse's mane. We say Maine wolves, and they think they mean, we mean Maine. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, you know, with New England, no, not Maine. Maned like a horse, and they're not really a wolf. They're just a very large dog. 
they're in the canine family, so they are. Uh, but wolves refer to the genus Canis, you know, Canis lupus, Canis rufus. Uh, these guys are in their own little group. It's Chrysasion brachiurus, which means golden dog with long legs. <laughs> which is when you see them, that's exactly what they are. It's a uh, reddish, uh, ruddy kind of color with uh, very long legs. They're uh, often also called foxes on stilts. <laughs> And they're not really related to foxes either, even though they smell a lot like foxes. They are their own uh, very distinct uh, animal, and they're the only one in their uh, genus. Okay, cool. So why do they have such long legs? What are the? What, how does that help? Yeah, they live in um, grasslands. So uh, one of the things that that helps with is they can get their ear. Well, their ears are located pretty much on the very top of their head almost. they got big radar dish ears. Uh, that way it helps them kind of get their ears up above, helps them move through the grass. Um, you'll see them. I've seen footage of them in the grasslands in South America where, like, they'll be... Um, they almost look like dolphins kind of bounding through the sea, <laughs> like they're just kind of like leaping through the grass. Um, yeah, just uh, to help them with their um, being able to hunt. They are solitary, so they're not, uh, they're solitary like a coyote or a fox. So they're not really great hunters. They um, don't take down any really big prey, mostly small stuff, birds, lizards, reptiles. They're also very cool that they're uh, here at the zoo. Their primary diet is mostly vegetable matter. Really? Yeah, they get a vegetable slurry, which is composed comprised of uh, cooked sweet potato, carrots, and banana, uh, and some greens in there for roughage. And we mix it with a uh, low, um, low-ingredient low dog food, okay. uh, which is sweet potato and chicken. And that's their main thing. They uh, they actually have a much lower protein intake than a lot of other canines would. Is that true in the wild as well? Yeah, in the wild, they um, through other environment or whatnot, um, they um, they have very poor kidneys. Um, they get a lot of crystals and uh, kidney stones in the wild, and even in human care, we have to monitor them for that. Um, so they eat. I don't know if uh, they eat less protein because of that, or that kind of came about because they were getting less. Um, one of the things I do in the wild to uh, get around that is, is this plant down there called a wolf tomato. It's in the nightshade tomato family. And uh, their range is dictated by where that plant is, and they eat that. That actually helps them kind of flesh out their kidneys. Oh, wow. That's really yeah. interesting. That's cool. Thank you for that information. I appreciate it. Um, so why are they called wolves if they're not wolves? I think just because it's a large dog. I think it's just <laughs> uh, everybody sees a big dog, and they th- you know call it a wolf. So... Um, I mean, there's like even they say uh, it's in the canine family in uh, Africa, the Ard Wolf, which is another right. large, larger canine, but it's definitely not a wolf. Right, right. I think just, you know, just like the common term, just meaning like large wild dog. Gotcha. No, that makes sense. I, um, I was actually um, recently, uh, I'm a backup foster for uh, some working dogs along mm-hmm. with my girlfriend. And um, we had a, uh, a juvenile German shepherd with us. Mm-hmm. And a little girl looked at it and went, Mommy, it's the big bad wolf. So I, th- I think that makes yeah. sense. <laughs> um, okay, so, you know, a lot of people know that the, the smell of a skunk, mm-hmm. but don't realize that that same, that skunky smell, or it kind of smells kind of like marijuana or whatever. Yeah. Um, it, foxes also have that, and so do Maine wolves. Yeah. Maine wolves really have it. Yeah, they, they reek. What um, is that, and where does that come from? That's just a oily secretion that they have all over them. Um, 
It just reeks. Um, I remember <laughs> when they were puppies and we had to pick them up and their urine really stinks like it too. Um, when we had to pick them up to weigh them and everything, you just reek throughout the whole day. There have been a couple of times they have uh, big nest boxes inside the building and every now and then they make a mess in there and you have to kind of climb in and clean it. You come out and you just, you, you have to go home and take a shower immediately or hope that you don't have any social gatherings afterwards because you will be kicked out. <laughs> uh, yeah, they are just a smelly, smelly dog. I don't get the, uh, yeah, everybody says that we've had people come by and think that there was someone, you know, smoking a joint nearby. Um, but um, no, it's just them. It's just a very distinct odor. Um, a lot of people say either that or a skunk. They'll get to this area and they want to know where the skunk is. And we have gray foxes over there too. And they'll say the same thing right. over there. It's just that very potent, musky stink. Cool. Um, yeah. yeah, I just, what, what, do you know any reason why that might, like, what is the purpose of it? Do, uh, we, do we know the science? Know? I don't know the science behind okay. it. I know a lot of animals, it'll be, it's good for uh, helping mark a territory, right. you know, like it stinks like them, especially I could see with the solitary guys, uh, because they wouldn't want, like, any other ones coming into their territory and potentially eating what food they have. So I can see that being a good way of marking the uh, area. Yeah, that makes uh, sense. Yeah. Cool, thanks. Um, so, tell me about the the group here. And I know you said they're not pack animals. I, I'm, I'm so tempted to call it a pack because they're wolves. Yeah. But, so, tell me about the individual animals you have here. I'd love to know names. And also, like, introduce me to them. Tell me about okay. their personalities. Oh, okay. Well, we've got three of them. The one that's uh, walking around out here right now, that's Guapa. Uh, her brother, Goncalo, is in the back. And we have the other sister, Sabana, in another area of the zoo right now. Um what happened was they're, um, since they're from South America, below the uh, equator, uh, the seasons are reversed, so the mating seasons are reversed as opposed to they would be up here. So late fall, they started going into heat. Uh, we had to separate the brother out, obviously, uh, and then um, the two girls were not getting along because, like, you got to figure at that point, they would really not want anyone else near them. Right. Um, and we've just been finding putting them back together is a slower process than we uh, thought it would be, but it's uh, going well between these two. Like, they they grumble when they get near each other, but um, they're not, you know, like, hostile. Um, Guapa is, uh, lack of a better term, she's a little sweetheart. She comes over. See, she's coming over right now. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, she's yeah, gorgeous. see what we're doing. Yeah, she's a... Uh, uh, very nice. Uh, she's pretty little, too. She's only about, like, 55 pounds, I think. Uh, Goncalo's in the back. He is very big. He is the largest main wolf that I... We've only had a few different males here, and he's the biggest one. He's got a big old noggin on him. And he is kind of a lovable goofball. He likes to just... He will follow you around, too. Um, he always has, like, a very sad look on his face. And it's not that he's worried or anything. It's just how his face looks. He's got big, meaty brows, so it always looks like he's kind of furrowing. Them. Right. Uh, and people have said that. They're like, he looks sad. I'm like, no, he's just that's just how he looks. Sabana, who is uh, in the other location right now, um, she's a little bit more skittish than the other one. She's not quite as friendly. Like, uh, if you're throwing food in, she'll come over. But she wouldn't come over to the, to the side and say hello. She's not aggressive, but she would just rather... Um, be by yourself. Uh, these two, Guapa and Goncalo, traditionally have gotten along the best out of them, and then um, Sabana usually just kind of hangs off and does her own thing. Cool. And they were all born here, right? They were all born here, yeah. They were uh, the father, uh, I forgot which zoo he went to. 
Um, but uh, yeah, they were born here. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, I was at their, uh, as I was mentioning before we started, I was yeah, at their the, one-year birthday party. Yeah, I remember we gave them little uh, cupcakes down there on the yeah, rocks. I have yeah. the cutest picture of, of uh, yeah. one getting eaten right there. Yeah, and, I, I love that kind of connectivity that, that zoos can provide between mm-hmm. people and animals. You know, yeah. that was really cool. That was, it was also really neat with these guys going back to being uh, the pups, seeing that when they're born, they're kind of just the generic puppy shape, like the little, like, like round tube with the big belly and like little <laughs> tiny legs and little floppy ears. And you just see as they grow, they just hit a phase when suddenly the legs are getting longer, the neck is getting longer, the ears are pointing up. So it was kind of neat to see them go from like, you know, like I said, like the traditional little puppy shape to uh little juvenile Maine wolves that's really cool yeah and they, it was pretty neat too because they were they were very dark brown for a while and they seemed to turn red like almost overnight oh, it was wow. within a few weeks uh they shed out that uh coat and they had the nice uh red coat coming in under that that's awesome is yeah. it easy to uh tell the difference like just looking at them if we had all three lines yeah dogs? if we had all three of them um sometimes i have to get a little bit close my eyes aren't as good as they used to be but uh for between sabana sabana and guapa uh, Sabana is a little bit larger, and just by the way that she acts, Goncalo is very distinct. He's got the you know much bigger, uh, broader head. Now here comes Guapa again. Yeah, Goncalo's been uh, he's been liking laying down in the back during the days. So we don't uh, we don't we give them the option to go inside if they would like. So she usually stays out here, and then he just hangs out in the back. That makes sense. That's yeah. cool. Very, very cool. Oh, they're so gorgeous. Yeah. Every time Guapa walks by, I'm just like, girl, you earned that name. Yeah. <laughs> cool. So um, do you have any uh, funny or touching or just any stories about your interactions with these guys or, or really any of the animals here? Um, oh, my gosh. That's, uh, there's a lot of them. I'm, uh, trying to think I, of I'm here for all of them, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, in, in my mind, one of the things that I want to do with this podcast mm-hmm. is really make people connect to the individual animals at zoos. Yeah. Um, and so, honestly, like, you don't need to pick just one. Like, if you if you don't mind taking the time to share a couple, yeah. uh, the more you've got, the more I'm here for it. Well, I got a good one from when these guys were born. Like, um, we had, uh, like I said, we have big nest boxes in there. And we suspected she was pregnant. We noticed that she looked like, it's kind of hard to tell. Like, they don't, most animals don't look like they're putting on a ton of weight, sure. especially the predatory animals, you know, because it being, you know, like having big, you know, wide belly is going to really impact you from being able to get food. Uh, so we suspected that she was uh, pregnant and we had the cameras in and everything. And uh, one day checking the camera, it was, uh, it was December 26th. It was the day after Christmas. I remember that. Um and we saw that she was giving birth. So we're, you know, you stay out of the building at that point, you know, let her do her thing. Um, you don't want to bother her. So we're in the kitchen of the rainforest building watching it on our phones. <laughs> and we see the father stick his head in. And we're kind of tense at that point because, you know, first time parents, you know, you want to make sure everything goes smoothly. Right. And there's no audio, but you can see on the camera that he was looking at the puppy and barking at it. But then it seemed like just like a, um, a light turned on and he realized what he was supposed to be doing. And he see he immediately started grabbing straw and very gently putting straw over the puppy to, uh, <laughs> you know, keep it warm. And he was a he was a great dad. It was he was the overly protective one. He would be the one that like when the puppies were younger, we would go near the um, sides and they would come running over to us. And he would come over and kind of like have a 
little bit of a growl when he would pick them up and walk away and put them someplace <laughs> else. You know, like he was a uh, he was a great dad. Oh, I love that so much. Yeah, he was. Uh, it was for uh, for first time parents. They did a great job. So, what's the normal um, cycle with with animals like that? As far as um, do, um, do the parents generally stay with the cubs for a while, or they know? would stay with them for about a year, year and a half. Um, and then you could tell towards the end, uh, the mom was just wanting them to, you know, like go away. Um, but she was still feeding them for quite a while afterwards. Not so much even, um, uh, letting them like nurse, but she was definitely regurgitating food for them for a very long time, but it's about a year, year and a half. And then they'll start going off on their own. The fathers, um, I, um, I, I'm not positive. Uh, I would have to look this up again. I'm pretty sure the fathers stay with them for a little while, but not all the time. No, that's really yeah. cool, though. That's, so they regurgitate the food? Yeah, they regurgitate food. You know, like, you, they'll, uh, the parents will... That's the easiest way to carry food, and also, like, it kind of breaks it down a little bit. Right. You know, you, there's no such thing as, uh, you know, baby food in the wild for uh, puppies, and they may not be able to chew stuff, but if you've chewed it up and kind of... Uh, got the digestive process going, you know, and they'll come over and just spit it up for the babies and then they'll eat it. Interesting. Yeah. I'm actually kind of finding that to be more common than I thought. It's kind of, I think, outside Everybody of thinks the... it's birds. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, they think birds yep. are the big thing, but yeah. a lot of animals actually uh, do that. A lot of predatory animals, especially. Cool. Um, so, um, were there any other stories you wanted to share, anything? Or? Uh, I'm trying to think of another cute one. <laughs> um, just over the years, like, I mean, I've got so many memories from, like, you know, I helped raise some otters here, um seeing various births, um, different, uh, you know, uh, basically what you're saying times. is you just yeah. really, really love. What I really do. love doing this. You have to, in order to work in a zoo professionally with animals, you have to really love it. It's like, it's, it's really hard work mentally and physically. People don't realize the mental aspect of it. It's, it could be very, uh, very draining, uh, at times it could be very rough. It's rough on your body. It's like, I mean, you're in constant motion. Um, moving heavy bags, uh, picking up, you know, it's got all the fun aspects of like animal care with like a, a lot of landscaping involved in it. So, uh, a lot of physical labor, but you gotta, you gotta love what you're doing in order to do this, especially, you know, um, to keep everything up to the standards that, uh, you know, or, you know, or we're in the, we're part of, a. A- AZA, so to keep everything up to the impeccable standards, it's a lot of work. Oh, so I'm you sure. have to love what you're doing. That's awesome. Yeah, cool. Um, and then the last question that I like to ask, and <laughs> I, I will tell you in advance, I'll, I'll edit it out unless it's something really cute or funny, or we'll just skip it. It's not a problem. Okay. I do edit all of these. But um, I've noticed that a lot of keepers have funny stories that like relate to animals and something disgusting. Whether it's almost every one of them has turned into a poop story, but. Um, you know, just if you have anything silly like that, cool. If not, no worries. Oh God, yeah, disgusting. <laughs> like uh, our job is gross um, a lot. I'm trying to think of a good one. Okay, um, I did not realize that uh, opossums could launch musk from their anal gland until um, <laughs> we had one years ago when I first started working here in the farmyard and. I can't remember what it was. I think she had a nail that was cracked that we had to trim back. And she was pretty chill. Um, she was like uh, an abandoned uh, baby, so we pretty much hand, you know, raised her. And she just loved people, but um, like a lot of animals, they don't like being manually restrained. So I had to kind of uh, uh, scruff her to, you know, like hold her by the scruff of her neck and hold her foot out so they could uh, trim the nail really quick. And um, they're very wriggly. Uh, a lot of animals you don't realize, like cats, ot- otters especially, uh, they have very loose skin, so like they can kind of roll around in their own skin. Uh, and she was like wiggling, and I'm trying to hold on to her, 
and she just launched anal musk all over me. And then I find out later that like, I didn't know this at the time that the, the reason uh, when possums play dead, they kind of go into like, almost like a coma, like a torpor almost. And I'm like, well, why would that stop an animal from eating them? You know, like a coyote is just going to go score, you know, uh, before they do that, they soak themselves with this disgusting liquid that smells like it's been, uh, that smells like garbage that's been rotting in the sun for like a month. Amazing. It's just horrendous. And like, it's just, that's how I learned that. I was not <laughs> pleased. That smell kind of stuck with me for, for a good while. Um, yeah, you just work with animals. There's going to be something gross happens to you. Just, I remember another time I was, uh, we used to have a big, uh, llama herd and, uh, the llamas didn't spit at you, but they spit at each other. And I walked directly in between two of them and they spit at each other <laughs> and I got hit in both sides of the face and it's just little chunks of grain and corn. So it, it's smelly and it just, it, it hurts. So that was, yeah, that was another day. And I'm just sitting there like, ah, ah, you know, scraping my face off to go. Thankfully now uh, with the new building, we have a shower back there. Now nice. we have showers in other buildings. So like at the time we didn't have that, that would have been really handy back then. But. <laughs> well, but that's the kind of thing that shows just how much you truly do love these animals and what you do. And yeah. You I, put I up with that. two with uh, two stomachfuls of a uh, llama spit, yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking time to do this. I really appreciate oh, it. Oh, not a problem. Thank you. You know, early on when I started describing this podcast idea to people, one of the questions that kept coming up was, well, how can you do an audio podcast about adorable animals? Because people won't be able to see them. And I think in general, I've done a really good job figuring out how to make that work and how to translate that to a podcast format. And um, based on the ridiculous number of downloads y'all are, are given right now, and I'm thankful for, um, that seems to be accurate. But I think now my answer would be, hey, you know, some days there's going to be an episode with anteaters and maned wolves. And uh, there are a lot of people with strong noses and sensitive stomachs to whom a podcast about those is actually a lot better than being there in person. Because trust me, y'all, these are both really adorable species, but they are really, really stinky. Still getting to spend time with them was amazing, and I am grateful to JT for hooking it up both times. And you can check out Beardsley Zoo online at beardsleyzoo.org or on the social medias at CT Beardsley Zoo. Get it? for Connecticut. And remember, y'all, as Michael Jackson would say, gotta be starting static, gotta be starting static, gotta be starting static, gotta be starting static. It's the full static, yeah, yeah, it's the full static, yeah, yeah, it's the full static, yeah, yeah, it's the full static, yeah, yeah. The Ross Safari Podcast is produced, hosted, and engineered by John Rossi. Editing and fact-checking by John and Dr. Zoe Vesley Gross. Our theme song is Sevens by Nathan Burke, performed by Nathan and John. Interrupting John theme and additional voices by Taylor Isaac Gray. You can reach John directly on Instagram and Facebook at Rossafari or by email at rossafaripod at gmail.com. Rossafari is part of the Daydreamer Media Network. Now, stop listening to me and go visit a zoo.